We are in the book of Nehemiah. God's people, the Jews, have been released from their captivity by the Persians. They've been sent back to their homeland. The book of Nehemiah focuses on them rebuilding Jerusalem, their capital city, its temple, and its walls. Nehemiah is a Jew who was working in the Persian government, was assigned by the Persian government to go back and be governor of Judah and be in charge of the whole rebuilding operation, especially rebuilding the walls. Uh, the people started that mission. Last week we, we saw they're on a mission from God. They started the mission. Now we're going to see, this is like a good movie plot, now we see how they endure some conflict. Nehemiah chapter 4. But when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They all plotted to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But we, Nehemiah is speaking now, so Nehemiah and the other leaders, we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out and there's so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Also, our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and will kill them and put an end to this work. Then the Jews who lived near the, the enemies came and told us ten times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we returned to the wall, each to our own work. From that day on, half of my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. And each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. But the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. Then I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, The work is extensive and spread out. And we are widely separated from each other along the wall. Whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. This is the word of the Lord. So my assignment today from this section of Scripture is to talk about fighting. And uh, I don't know if I'm the best person to do that because... Uh, I'm honestly, I'm not a fighter. I grew up with two sisters, so it's not like I had other young males with me being rambunctious in the basement, knocking each other's teeth out. It, it didn't happen. Uh, I've never been punched, and I've never punched anyone. And I like it that way, and I hope that continues the rest of my life. My only black eyes have been self-inflicted, that's another story. I've never admitted this publicly before, but when Kara and I wrestle, I mean, like, go at it, like, 
try to pin each other, she, she, can, she can pin me. Um, I, I, and I, can, I think I've convinced myself up to this point that it's because I'm not, I'm not into hitting girls and fighting, and it kind of, I kind of just give up and let her do that, but I, honestly, I think, I think she actually does it. Um, stay away from her. Um, so, some of you are the opposite of, you know, I'll, I'll flee before I fight. Some of you, when you see conflict, you're like, I'm there, let's go, let's go get it, right? Let's go after it. I mean, you were born ready to rumble. I remember reading a book a couple years ago from one of my favorite Christian authors who writes about men's ministry and dads and, and how to be a great dad and a man of God. And he was telling a story how his, uh, his little son was going to school and getting beat up and getting bullied, and his wife was trying to deal with it, uh, you know, for a little bit, and it wasn't working. And so uh, he stepped in, and here was, here's how he dealt with it. He looked at his little boy, and he said, next time that kid hits you, hit him back. This is a fine, godly Christian man that I look up to, to lead me, and I want to be a dad like him, and that caused me pause. Uh, really? When it's time to fight, some of us would rather, you know, fold our hands and pray and hope that we don't get punched. While some of us would rather throw a punch and then pray for forgiveness. Is either right or wrong? I'd have to say the truth, I believe, is somewhere in the middle. And let me just give you some real-life scenarios as to this, this battle that we have between faith and work, between activity and passivity, between trusting God to take care of it and going after it and us taking care of it. Okay? Uh, the doctor says there's nothing more we can do to, to an aging parent, to a grandparent, to a friend, to you. Is it time to pull up the stakes, pack up your tent of this life, rest, relax, and wait for your final day? Is it time to Google everywhere possible and do everything possible to prove that doctor wrong? Volunteering isn't what it used to be. Uh, you look at others and they're just, they're not doing their fair share like you are. It's hard to get up in the morning and get there. You're struggling. It's, it's just, it's, it's getting to be overwhelming. So do you need a break or do you need to pony up? The boss says it's time to work overtime and that includes Sundays and that includes precious family time that you have planned into your calendar. Especially as a single mom, you have only certain nights you can see your kids and those are the nights he expects you to work. Your parents resist you being a Christian. How much do you resist those people and insist on your way and how much do you compromise? Humanitarian response. How much should I give to the recovery efforts for Hurricane Harvey, and how much to, should I give to the humanitarian efforts recovery for Hurricane Irma? 
And if I prefer Harvey because I'm a Texan, does that make me... Does it mean I don't care about Floridians? And should I be sending money to Las Vegas? Or let them be satisfied with the money I've lost there? <laughs> um, humanitarian responses are really tricky. Which, do I buy Girl Scout cookies or not? Do, and where do I, what do I support? How much do you support outside of your offerings to this church? I hope you have some charities outside of this church. And how do you prioritize them, right? This is what I'm talking about. Where God, this is stewardship. We're in the middle of a stewardship series. And stewardship says, God, how do I best use my resources? And man, what a message we have from Nehemiah today about faith and work. Uh, I love it for this reason. We are all caught in struggles as Christians. When I'm in that struggle, I need guidance for when and where and how much to fight and when and where and how much to pray. And we get it today in this story. Uh, I'm going to tell you three important things right off the bat. And I think if our, if our responses are guided by these things, uh, and this is not so much giving you the skills to fight as giving you the principles behind it, and the principles are more important. Here they are. Number one, in your struggles as a Christian, including your stewardship struggles, it's God's fight. Never go to battle without Him. No matter what. Make sure He's leading the way. Make sure you're listening to Him. Make sure you're doing it for His glory. It's God's fight. That's first and foremost in importance and priority. Number two, it is your fight. That's second in importance and priority. Don't ask God to do what God asks you to do. I know that's a loaded statement, but it's true, and I'll let you figure that out as we go along. Number three, when you fight as a Christian, when you have a struggle as a Christian, it's a good fight. Struggle does not mean that you're going down a wrong path, that you've made a bad choice, that you're in the middle of a mistake. When you're six months into your marriage and you can't agree with each other about how to spend uh, your time watching which movies and you start struggling and fighting with your spouse, it doesn't mean that you chose the wrong person. It means you're too flawed, selfish individuals who need Jesus and got to figure it out, right? When you've been married for 37 years and the same thing happens, it's the same answer. You're going to struggle as a Christian. We'll tell you a little bit more about that later, but don't be surprised by that, and it doesn't mean a bad thing. Uh, so let's talk about struggle and about fighting. Um, I love this, this saying because it helps me when I'm in the middle of a struggle and a fight and by my nature, I want to back off and give up and give in. And the saying is this, dogs don't bark at parked cars. Dogs don't bark at parked cars or motorcycles. They bark at, right? They bark at the mailman who is, who is chugging along in that mail truck. Um, th so this means when you're doing God's good work, when you are applying your faith as a Christian, 
when you're seeking to follow God, when you're, when you're going at it, you're going to have opposition. We see that in Nehemiah here, and there's two forms. There's external opposition and internal. Let me remind you of the verses for external op- opposition. Here it is. Verse 7, uh, Nehemiah says that the enemies were very angry. Right? They're making the wrong people mad. Maybe the right people. Verse 8, the enemies plotted together to come and fight and stir up trouble. Verse 11, the enemy said, we will kill them and put an end to the work. See that? We'll put an end to the work. The enemies didn't agree that this was good work that Nehemiah and the people were doing. That's what made them enemies. External opposition comes from circumstances, from friends, from enemies, from others. Be ready for it. Internal opposition. Verse 10. The strength, this is the, this is the Jews now saying this, the strength of the laborers is giving out, and there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Strength of the laborers is giving out? Uh, our, our finite resources are limited. The prof- we don't have enough professionals, and the professionals can't get the job done. The strength of the laborers is giving out, right? We're limited. We're finite in our ability to, to do what we want to do. That's, that opposes the plan. And there's so much rubble. I don't know how we're going to do it. I, uncontrollable circumstances are also in opposition. Sometimes they're external. Sometimes they're internal in how we perceive them. Is that, ex, is that circumstance that happens, does that cause me to be afraid? Does that send me in a tailspin so that I'm no longer on my mission? Right? So those two, external and internal opposition. And then uh, when we feed our fear and starve our faith, we're, going to give up the, we're, we're either going to give up the fight or fight in the wrong way. When we feed our fear and starve our faith, we're going to give up and not fight when God wants us to fight. Or we're going to fight, and, but fight in a way that God doesn't want us to fight. These things can be hard to figure out, and, and we don't figure them out well when we give too much of our ear and too much of our heart and too much of our attention and too much of our time to uncontrollable circumstances, to limited and finite resources, to people squawking at us that are our enemies, to threats, to perceived threats, and let them turn us into a tailspin and ruminate and worry and go into a bad place then God's not leading the way. We've all been there. We all still do that. Maybe even on our best days. God answers that, and, uh, and this is where we're not really the answer. He is. Uh, when you're doing something good for God, you're going to be opposed. The Scripture is not short on truth in this area for us, and we must Put our eyes and our heart there. We mean to stop being surprised that when we struggle for God, when we put our faith to work, we need to stop being surprised that it's hard work, that it's a battle, that there's a fight going on, and that we face opposition. Let me give you some verses. 2 Timothy 3 verse 12 says this. Pay attention to the first word. Everyone 
who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's what God says. If that's true, who is going to be persecuted in this room? Everyone but you. Everyone who wants to lead a godly life will be persecuted. You have two choices there. Two choices. You can say, that's it, forget it. I don't want to live a godly life. You can avoid persecution then. Or you can say, I'm one of the everyone and I want to live a godly life and it's going to be hard. That's it. Those are your two choices. You want to come with me on mission and live a godly life and be ready for what's coming our way? Absolutely. Uh, second verse. Why does Jesus allow this to happen? Matthew 5 verse 10 in his Sermon on the Mount this is the Beatitudes, and it's this last Beatitude. All the other Beatitudes are really beautiful. They're very loving, and the meek shall inherit the earth, and blessed are the poor in spirit, and oh, thank you, Jesus. And he gets to the last one. Here's the concluder, the, the final Beatitude of Jesus. He says, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are persecuted. When you think that the struggles you endure are a surprise to Jesus, when you think that they're fighting against what he wants, they're really fighting for him. They're really helping you be blessed. They're fulfilling you in a way that he wants for you, which is why Jesus allows there to be struggles. Uh, Jesus himself had struggles. Right? The day that he was baptized, glorious day, heaven opened up, he heard his father's voice. The Holy Spirit landed on him in the form of a dove. John the Baptist jaw dropped, and he's saying, I'm baptizing the Messiah. And it was a great day. And right after that, Jesus went into the desert, into the wilderness, and for 40 days could find no food. And for 40 days was tempted directly by the devil himself. And he was hungry, and it was hard work. And, and that set the stage for him to endure the devil's temptations. That's struggle. Palm Sunday, our Jesus Loves Me group studied Palm Sunday, right? Jesus rides into Jerusalem. It's a day we celebrate in the Christian church, a day full of praises and hosannas, and the crowd cheers. And a few days later, the crowd jeers. Crucify him. Jesus was doing the right thing. But it was a fight. It was a battle. It was hard work. It was a struggle for him. Do you think it will be for us who follow him too? You will struggle. Jesus did, but let me tell you this. We're glad that he struggled, and we're glad that in Isaiah it says he was despised and rejected. The leaders of the other world religions can't come close to being despised and rejected like Jesus was, Muhammad, Confucius, Buddha, you name it. They tended to live good, fulfilling, long lives and die in peace. Not Jesus. Jesus died in shame. Jesus died like a, the worst criminals in the Roman Empire. Jesus died with Roman soldiers spit in his mouth 
and blood dripping down him from a cross that shouldn't have been his, but it was. And he died being guilty as the world's worst sinner, not because he sinned, but because our sins were on him. I, I don't need those other religious leaders who can't and don't and would never be able to do that for me, but Jesus does, and you too. He was despised and rejected by men. Jesus' work was a battle, a struggle, a fight, hard work. Not to mention that he has to be patient with you and me every day. That's maybe harder work than the cross. In Jesus, we see the ultimate Nehemiah. Right, Nehemiah's story? He was a cupbearer for King Artaxerxes in, in Persia. He was on the royal staff. Had it made, man. Living life in the palace. The only thing that would cause his job to go upside down is if someone poisoned some of the wine that they wanted to give the king trying to assassinate him and the cupbearer would always sample it first. But that didn't happen. He had the good life in Persia. Most of the exiles there actually did. They weren't in prison. They weren't being tortured. They had a pretty good life. And Nehemiah saw what was happening to his people back in Judah. And he had to leave that. He had to go do the hard work. He had to struggle. He had to sweat. He had to fight enemies. He, had to, he risked his life and his livelihood. Jesus, the ultimate Nehemiah, had it made. Oh, heavenly paradise from eternity. Angel choirs. Wake every day with the sun and the moon and the stars and he can count the stars and he doesn't have to deal with the mess of this planet until the Father says, go deal with the mess of this planet. And in his heart, Jesus didn't fight. Because you're here. He had to come for you and me and the world and all of us. And he didn't come at the risk of his life. He came at the cost of his life to be despised and rejected by mankind. By it, his hard work, he saved you and me from the hard work that we don't want to do. By his hard work and his struggle, he gives you strength to endure. So, when you are doing God's good work, and when you're fighting the good fight of faith, and when you're seeking to live a godly life and you're disrespected, Jesus says, you can take it. Because I was disrespected for you. And when you're overwhelmed, and it's hard being a parent who, who instills godly values in your children, and it's hard being a spouse who gives of yourself instead of takes, and it's hard living as a Christian citizen, and it's hard being a steward and giving away some of your money to God, and it's hard. And when you feel overwhelmed by all that, Jesus says, you can take it because I was overwhelmed for you.
And when your reputation suffers, when people aren't happy with you, when people are angry with you for living a godly life, and you might lose friends, or you might create conflict in your own family from people who are not on board with God's plan, but you are. Jesus says, hang in there. You can take it. I made a lot of people unhappy, Jesus says. I made them so mad, they killed me. And I did it for you. Hang in there. It's my fight. Let it be my fight. Don't make it just your own. Jesus says, your suffering will never outscore my suffering. It will never be more painful. It will never be more intense. It will never overshadow what I did for you. And that's good because when it's my fight and not just yours, then you win like I did. Then your suffering, Jesus says, becomes mine too. And your overwhelmingness becomes mine too. And your fears become mine. And your sins are already mine and they're gone and you're forgiven. And you are on my team. We're fighting together. Don't give up. Speak for me. Serve me. Glorify me in your decisions. And it's a fight, Jesus says, and we're fighting it together and it's a good one. So there's the Jesus promise, what he did as the ultimate Nehemiah, and now he, he, it's okay with him that things aren't easy. Now he puts you in struggles that, are, that, that involve faith and work, and they can seem to collide, faith and work. Let's see how that happens in, uh, in Nehemiah's time. Uh, Nehemiah's response to the struggles that came, the opposition that came, I'm going to rattle off a couple of verses here again that we read earlier. Verse 9, here's how Nehemiah responds. We prayed and posted a guard. Verse 14, by the way, there's a word in each of these responses that gives you a clue how we respond. Verse 14, Nehemiah tells the people, he's cheering them on, not, he's cheering them on, he says, remember the Lord and fight. Verse 20, when he's talking about everyone spread out and you got to be ready to fight. <clears throat> Verse 20, he says, join us, here, like, like here's your weapon, join us and our God will fight for us. What's the common word on all those three? You're ahead of me, Kara. Go back to fight involves faith and work, sorry. What's the common word in all those three verses? It was and. Right? We, we prayed and posted a guard. Remember the Lord and fight. Join us and our God will fight for us. This week in our, uh, in our devotions in New Morning Mercies, we're, uh, for those who are following our Bible reading plan here at Holy, Holy Word Pflugerville, we, uh, we looked at Noah. And we read Genesis 6, 7, 8, and 9, the story of the flood, story of Noah. And I'm preparing this sermon. I couldn't help but notice how how Noah was a great example of faith and work. God told, tells Noah to build this huge ark. And, God, and, and throughout the story, it says, And Noah did as the Lord commanded him. 
Noah didn't go sit under a palm tree, fold his hands, and say, God, let's build the ark. You make it happen. Noah did the hard work. God said, I want you to put every animal, at least two of every animal, seven of some animals into the ark, Noah. And if you read carefully, it says, the animals came to Noah and he did as the Lord commanded. Now, what in the world did Noah do that made the animals come to him? It, the Bible doesn't report anything. It, that's God's work. God is bringing the animals to Noah and giving Noah credit for it. That's how it goes. In faith and work. Noah said, Lord, you tell me what to do and I'm going to do it. And God said, Noah, I'm going to do this with you. And some things, Noah, I'm going to do for you. Um, so our, our typical error is that we want God to do what God wants us to do. And we want to do what God wants to do. That's why it's so important for us in our Christian struggles, right? In our faith and work. To be led by God, to pay attention, to look at stories like Noah's. So, okay, I'm going to cover these two verses now to help us with that. Verse 14, remember the Lord and fight. Uh, very practically, remember the Lord. When you are in a struggle, when you're in a good Christian fight, when there's opposition to you living a godly life, remember the Lord. Make it a spiritual issue. Don't let anything that you endure in this life not be a spiritual issue. Remember the Lord and fight. Own it. It doesn't belong to anyone else. It's yours. God's allowed it to be that way or God's laid it upon you. It's yours. Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. So make it a spiritual issue and then own what's going on. Jesus says, you can take it. All right, verse 9. We prayed and posted a guard. There, see that? Faith and work. We prayed. And don't pray, tell God what to do. Right? Pray, God, what do you want me to do? Put your faith to work. God, what will you have in this situation? This is a fight, God. How am I supposed to fight? Where? How hard? How much? Against whom? God, I need help. Pray. And posted a guard. Right? Out of faith, not out of lack of faith. Don't do the work without faith. Do the work with faith. Post a guard with faith like Nehemiah did. If you've been around Holy Word a while, especially Holy Word Pflugerville, um, you're going to understand the tension that we're facing with our building project. See that building out there on that property? You see it? Oh, that's, well, that's because it's not there. It was supposed to be there like two and a half years ago. Um, and, and it's been a struggle for us in our own building project. Here Nehemiah is in a building project. He's rebuilding the walls. And he has something for us particularly for our building project that involves faith and work. I have to ask myself, as we experience delays in our building project, how do I make that a spiritual issue? Because if I don't, it's going to 
it's just going to get my goat. God, where are you in this? God, what do you... God, are we trying to do something that you want to do? And God, are we not doing something that you're calling us to do? That maybe does or doesn't involve the building? Are there other things in ministry, God, that we're not paying attention to that, that you're not allowing the building to happen because those are better things on your agenda and we need to pay attention to them? Make it a spiritual issue. And then fight. Go at it. God bless you for your, for your offerings to that building project. They're going to let us do something big and good and great. That's how we fight. And our building committee and our chairman, they're hanging in there. They're working with the city. We just found another delay because there's an eight-inch water line out there. And they're thinking with this retirement community going in with all the plumbing fixtures, that an eight-inch line probably isn't enough. I don't know why they are just discovering this now but that's going to delay our project again. Can we be okay with that? Can we say, you know, God, there's so much good other stuff going on in our ministry. God, what, do you, what are we not doing that you want us to do? And what do you want us to let you do that we think we should be doing? Oh, ponder those questions with me. Would you? I don't know all the answers. I'm not saying that I do. But those are good questions. We answer them all as we fight with this in mind. We have to remember who we are when we fight. We have to remember that the, that the victory has already been won and that the main point in our own fights, in our building project, is not walls, is not physical things. The main point is the work of God in us there's this great passage in Isaiah. This is 700 years. Isaiah writes this 700 years before Jesus came. He wrote it centuries before Nehemiah even. And he says this, In that day, Isaiah's picturing a future day when this is going to happen. In that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. Oh, yes, a strong city. That's like us. We want to build. We want a building. We have a strong city. God makes salvation its walls and ramparts. Oh, the city is us. This building is here. Salvation is its walls and ramparts. Salvation isn't in things. Salvation is in us. In you. First Peter agrees. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. Who is the living stone? Jesus. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the living stone. The Bible calls him the cornerstone. He aligns your life. He, everything's straight. When Jesus is your cornerstone, everything is strong, built on him. And what are you then? According to this scripture, you are chosen, like Jesus was. You are precious, like Jesus was, is. You are holy, like Jesus makes you to be. 
and you are acceptable. So, remember that when you need to fight, and you will fight well, my friend. You will fight the good fight well. Amen. Let's pray. God, fighting can be confusing. Sometimes we run when we shouldn't, and sometimes we fight when we should run. We need your help, and we need your guidance. We live in this world where wickedness and evil is all around us. We have so many good, godly choices to make in our hearts and in our lives. Help us make choices like Jesus did. On this earth, fighting the fight for us, doing the hard work for us. Help us to make choices remembering that we don't have to do it. We don't have to win the fight to earn your favor, that we already have your approval in, in, our, in Christ our Savior. But you let us struggle so that we might be blessed, so that we might have opportunity to, to come to you and to bear your name and to show your glory. Bless us as a church, Lord, as we endure those struggles too in our programs, in our, in our volunteering, in, in, uh, in different personalities, in our leadership, in this pastor, and in our building project. To, to always fight with faith and to have faith that's willing to fight. Amen.